Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFM. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Oh, hey. Oh, hello. How are you? Um, Hi, Betty. How are you doing? Betty says hello. Yeah, Betty the cat. Um, I am fine. Yeah? Yeah, I've had a busy week. Have you? Yeah. How tell? Well, just just like work and like life and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Are you starting to get a bit like, (laughs) I'm I'm starting to get a bit stressed about how many plans I've made? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not because I'm the opposite. I'm anxious that I haven't made any plans. We've probably made the same number of plans. I reckon. You've probably made more plans than me. I doubt it. You went out last night on a weeknight. I did, yeah. Like a literal that school was night. My first time going out for dinner in a long time. Was it? Yeah. Long, long time. I um there's just a lot in the works and it's gr- obviously I'm over the moon to be able to do this stuff mm. now. But at the same time I feel a little bit like maybe I should have just taken it slowly. Yeah, I think it's hard, isn't it? Because I don't think we realise the impact that not having done anything for so long has had on us. So I feel like we kind of, you can kind of get, I was saying to my husband that like, I felt like I kind of almost was starting to look forward to our evenings on the couch together, the same evening that we've had every evening for the last year. You know, so I'm so conditioned to it now. Yeah, institutionalised. It's weird to to step outside, but I did do that last night and it was pretty good. Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, you and I have got a day out on the town planned tomorrow, haven't we? We sure do. I'm really excited. Canterbury, watch out! Canterbury. That's all I can say. Bants and cants. <laughs> Bants and oh, cants. Yeah, we're gonna have a great day. <laughs> That's we are. We're going for a ni- nice lunch. Should we just tell everyone what we're up to? We're literally first step one shops. Yep. Step yep. two lunch. Yep. Step three probably a bit more shops. Step four, Pubarama. Pubarama licious. Yeah, in England's yeah. most historic town. Yes. Oh, it's going to be so nice. Um, <laughs> I am looking forward to it very much. Yeah. We should really have been recording these links while we're while we're there, but I think it might oh, have been a bit like lads, lads, lads. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. people don't want to hear that, maybe. No, they don't. They do, though, don't they? Maybe they do. Maybe we'll do a little one. We'll be like, <laughs> wait. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, guys, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I am looking, really looking forward to it. I've had a bit of a, a bit of a shit week. Right. Yeah, I'd, uh, I said, I'd, I've already posted this on Instagram, so sorry if you've, you've already known about this, but I had a mammogram on Tuesday because I got a fucking yeah. lump in my boob again. Oh, mate, that oh, was, yeah. I was scared. I was quite frightened. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the word mammogram and it does seem a bit more serious, like all yeah. of a sudden, you know. Yeah, because last time you had a little lump, you went and they just like prodded it and then they were like, ah, it's fine. Like, yeah, well, they did an ultrasound. Right, yeah. And this time they were like, we'll, we'll do an ultrasound and a mammogram. But they don't tend to do mammograms on um, younger ladies. No. Because of your breast density. I know this now because I read a leaflet. Oh, wow. That's um, interesting. But they, they did one on me, which I find offensive. Uh, but <laughs> they looked luckily, at you and went, those breasts are not very dense at all. Well, luckily the, the consultant was like, yes, your, bre- your breasts were a bit dense for the, for the mammogram. I was like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, mammogram. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, the, it, it was a cyst, everyone, just in case you're still wondering. Uh, I'm very um, relieved. Yeah, which they aspirated with a large needle. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was um, texting you while you were in the waiting room, and then, like, I knew that obviously you were going in, but you weren't really quiet for quite a long time, and I was like, shit, 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 shit. But it was okay. Oh, thanks, Emma. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, mate. It's a bit, bit squeaky bum for everyone for a little bit there. Yeah. Yes. I'm very relieved and everyone should check their boobs check your boobs guys just do it yeah and uh, yeah a mammogram it's not that bad I mean it's a bit awkward but I think most of us listening to this have definitely been through us so (laughs) (laughs) okay that puts into perspective for me yeah exactly um should you talk about the show I think we should okay so we've got first of all first and foremost we've got Liz's first um (gasps) role as Worst first role, first time, first day at the office, first day at the office as yeah. the BFN agony aunt. Wow, I hope wow. she's got a new briefcase. New I hope case. she has to. Um, it's really good. I, I'm like, I knew she'd be good, but she's really good. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, and so we won't we won't give anything away about that, right? No. Just yeah, no. that's, that's coming up. Yes. Um, then we've got an interview with the one, the only Ruth Corden. Ruth Corden, who is. It's really funny because obviously she's like a very funny person, mm. but she's very like in this interview was quite kind of, you know, I don't want to say serious, but like, I don't really know another word. She like really poured her heart and soul out. Yeah. Well, she's been through a lot. She has um, been through a lot. Yeah. I really enjoyed the interview. Yeah. She's really easy to talk to. She's really lovely. She's She's got a really nice infectious giggle. Um, and yeah, I, I, Really, I'm really glad we chatted to her. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I loved it as well. Um, so she's I how to explain Ruth. Um, she is podcast host. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how most people know her. She also happens to be James Corden's sister, which is in irrelevance other than the fact that it like indicates that she's a very funny person. Yeah, they've got funny bones. Also, she really knows about, and um, we we broached this at the end of the interview, skincare. I was going to say, listen in if you want some skincare tips yeah. to the very end, because we we did ask her, because she's fucking shit hot on skin. I took her advice. Did you? Yeah, I, actually, I went and bought vitamin C, but I also bought a retinol, so I've just gone Ooh. for both. I've just gone the whole hog. I'm too scared. My skin is so sensitive. I can't uh, go yeah. near it with retinol, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I would say I've still got all the problems I had before but I do I do think that my skin feels brighter and I think her vitamin c advice might have been 
Well, there you go. Yeah. Guys, listen in if you, if you too want to take the vitamin C advice. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, of course, we've, we've got, got Professor Tim. Tim. Yes, and he's talking thyroids, mm-hmm. which is actually a subject that we haven't often, I don't think we've ever discussed it on this podcast. We have a little bit. I remember um, I did some thyroid testing myself. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Um, way back. Yeah. And um but yeah, it is a very interesting one. Um and and yeah, I don't think we've not spoken to we've not interviewed anyone with this problem, I don't think. No, we haven't. And but it is like um you know, a lot of people talk about it in connection with with fertility, so it's definitely yeah. one worth listening to. Yeah, definitely. Um and that's kind of it really for the show. That's it, guys. Yeah. It's quite, um, it's quite a solid show, I'd say today. Like a yeah. classic. What a pack classic BFN. Oh, yeah good times all around um quick reminder to i mean we have to say this but if you haven't already pre-ordered our book you should pre-order our book it's such a good book such a great book it's the best book i've ever read i think it's the best book i've ever written and i've read it like three or four times at least least. um yeah so if you wanted to pre-order it you can do that on amazon or waterstones or bookshop.org which is where all the independents are which is yeah yeah, probably. Although, um, if you buy it from Amazon, then we go up the chart. Oh yeah, we, we were we were above. It starts with the egg the other day, which was quite satisfying. Yeah, but it's mm. back up again. Yeah, I mean, old good old Rebecca Fett. She never gets old. The Fett, the Fettster, the Fettster, the Fettmeister. <laughs> we need to get her on the podcast. <laughs> um, yes. So, yes. Please read our read our read our book i mean obviously eventually read our book but for now just pre-order our book that would be great um and then if not you can follow us on instagram at big fat negative or facebook big fat negative or twitter at big fat negative or you can email us big fat negative podcast at gmail.com take it away liz oh hi friends how we doing um, so, doing this agony aunt thing these days. I mean, I say these days, this is like the first one. So, uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. We've had a question, um, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know why I wasn't expecting a question, but and it turns out people want to ask me stuff, which is amazing because I definitely thought I was going to be here asking, answering just my own questions that I made up. Um, But that is not the case. In fact, secondary infertility is a thing too, has written in um, and is asking about trying for a baby um, after having had success with IVF. So um, they were fortunate enough to um, have success in 2019, um, having had some IVF with three good um, PGT tested embryos. So one of those embryos is now their daughter, which is amazing. Many congratulations to you guys. Um, And they're now ready to, or thinking about trying for another baby. So they ask, um, should we try and implant one or both of the existing embryos since they already exist? Or should we try and do it the old fashioned way since that is infinitely cheaper than going for more IVF? And obviously it would feel absolutely amazing to get pregnant that way. Um, So, yeah, I mean, what a question. What a question. And I think it's going to be, you know, the age old uh, kind of answer of you've just got to talk it out. You've got to talk it out because 
I think anything to do with TTC, whether or not you're going to go doing, you know, you're trying to do it naturally um, or you're going to go for more IVF, you're stepping back into that emotional arena, aren't you? You're putting yourself into a really kind of emotional place and you have to be strong for that. Um, so, you know, you have to feel like you have to be ready, I think. That's that's the first thing. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Um and especially obviously mentioning, you know, mentioning cost and things because yeah, absolutely. IVF is really expensive and I guess it's slightly cheaper because you've got these two um embryos in the in the freezer and you've had all this PGD testing, which is amazing. But you still have to kind of shell out for everything that goes along with frozen rounds and you know, again, the emotional turmoil of going through it all again is significant. And I don't think, like, obviously we hadn't had IVF um, for a couple of years before we, we did our most recent donor round. And I absolutely had rose-tinted glasses. I absolutely had rose-tinted glasses about how um, how I hadn't appreciated or remembered, I guess, how kind of just emotionally draining everything about it was. And I guess to a degree, I probably feel a little bit that way about trying naturally because, you know, you just totally forget how soul destroying it is to see that negative pregnancy test at the end of, um, at the end of a month or or when your period comes or when it's late or or whatever it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that by any stretch of imagination that that will happen to you, but I think you do have to prepare for that that just emotional turmoil and that emotional kind of journey that you're journey that you're kind of setting yourself back into so while the financial cost as I said is definitely consideration to make um, I think you also have to just be aware or be mindful of that kind of emotional investment that you're about to make um, in you know in potentially kind of growing your family Um, so that's the sort of first thing that that kind of popped into my head when when I was reading your reading your message Um, and then obviously, you know, mentioning the sort of either or scenario, and I don't know whether or not you've considered the possibility of, um, maybe doing both. I don't know how feasible that is as an option for you, um, both from a sort of financial perspective and also from a kind of, um, I guess an, an aging perspective, um, you know, is it an option for you to try naturally for say six months, eight months? Um, and then once you get to the end of that, make a decision about whether or not you want to progress with IVF. Um, or is it something that you feel as though it's no, absolutely, it's going to be kind of one or the other. We're either um, not going to kind of try naturally at all. And I have to say, I do feel, I do see the kind of pull of that, to be honest with you. I do see the kind of attraction of that because I definitely felt like once we'd been referred for IVF, I definitely felt like the pressure had come off a little bit because it was like, oh, well, it's fine. Like we don't have to kind of keep trying um, naturally. It's going to happen for us in this in this way, this this way made possible by science. And obviously, you know, naivety, we didn't know any of what we've been through, but it does absolutely take the pressure off. So I can totally understand the kind of lure of, of one or the other. Um, and, you know, equally, you've got your PGT tested embryos, which, you know, you know, like, that's great. That's kind of indicating that they're really um, good quality in terms of like genetic, you know, genetic testing and all that sort of stuff as well. So, 
you almost feel a bit, or I mean, I say you, you know, obviously not to put um, words into your mouth or anything like that, but I would almost feel like, well, it's pretty much guaranteed, surely, because we've had success initially, and now we've got these PGT-tested embryos, and that's amazing, so surely nothing can go wrong. Now, I... (laughs) I am now forever an IVF pessimist, um, so I would, you know, sort of say, well, go into this with your eyes open, but I think, you know, go into any kind of TTC with your eyes open, because it's going to be potentially difficult either way. Um, And also, you obviously mentioned, you know, the kind of amazing um, feeling of being able to do it naturally, and I, you know, I cannot even imagine how absolutely wonderful that would feel. But again, the kind of pessimist in me comes out a little bit and says, but how will you feel if it doesn't go right? How will you feel if it doesn't go right? And how will that impact emotionally on both of your, on your mental health and, and on obviously on your, on your husband's mental health as well? So as much as I'm all about, you know, going in there with a positive mental attitude, and I think that is great, I also think that you have to kind of just, you know, give that maybe a five minute consideration and I suppose the unpopular opinion in 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 some ways would be if you're if you don't feel strong enough to do either of those things you can walk away you don't have to go through it again now from the sounds of things it's not necessarily something that you're considering or even an option for you both um, because you are fortunate and you do have these options in front of you but sometimes you feel as though just because you've got embryos in the freezer that you have to keep going and that's not necessarily the case um so it's also worth just considering is this actually what we want to do and do we just actually want to walk away from it obviously that's not an answer i can give but it's just sort of food for thought i guess um so the other part of your question was around um you know options if you are fortunate enough to have um a successful natural pregnancy or conceive naturally what do you then do with your existing embryos um and that again sounds to me as though you are definitely leaning more towards um the sort of natural ttc route which suggests that maybe you you really are not hugely kind of confident or wanting to go through ivf again which i absolutely completely understand because it is it's it's hugely kind of draining um, and obviously, you know, I've never been in this situation, but I did have a little bit of a, a look online just to see what the options were. Um, and the HFEA website do have a really amazing um, page talking about embryo donation. So that to me indicates that it is um, an option in the UK, but it does seem just for my really quick skimming um, that the any kind of uh, donors, embryo donors, egg donor, sperm donor are obviously rigorously tested. So in order to donate your embryos to another couple, you would need to fit all of that criteria. So it's worth just having a look to see whether or not that is something that you, you know, that would kind of, you would both fit into if that is something that you want to do. Obviously, there is an alternative option, which is to donate them to science. Um, if you don't fit the criteria that is set by the by the HFEA for embryo donation to another couple, you could look to to donate them to science if you wanted to. Um, I know that uh, Natalie from the Fertility Podcast. I don't know how what the etiquette is actually on referencing another podcast on a podcast, but anyway, 
Um, I know that Natalie, um, they decided to sort of step away from IVF and to donate their embryos to science. Um, and I'm pretty certain that she has done a podcast episode about it. So I shall see if Emma and Gabby can link that below. But I think it's always really helpful to listen to somebody else uh, talk about kind of experiences or something that you are considering and just to hear their thought process, really. Um, because, you know, whatever you decide, like none of these are easy paths to, to follow. Um, you know, if you elect to step away from IVF completely um, and try naturally, then, you know, you obviously making decisions around your embryos. Um, or if you decide to go through IVF again, then equally you're putting yourself, as I said, in that kind of emotional arena. So whatever happens, you have to just, both of you keep talking. Um, both of you keep kind of communicating with each other. And I would definitely suggest seeking, um, if you don't already have some sort of talking therapy, um, then I would definitely advocate going to speak with someone about it because hearing from a third party, obviously not that I'm emotionally attached or involved in any way, but I do have experiences of IVF. So sometimes hearing from somebody who's completely outside of that um, fertility kind of, field is really really helpful because they can give a bit of a I guess more of a pragmatic and logical perspective um to it all anyway I really hope that was helpful absolutely best of luck with whatever you decide um and I really hope that you take great care of yourselves bye-bye Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you know, this is a bit of a fangirl moment for me, straight up, straight up, serious. No. Yeah, oh. somebody told me about your podcast. Oh, gosh, I think it must have been back in 2018 now. And we were at a, like, fertility, like, wellness day. And I got chatting to this girl, Nicola, and she told me about Big Fat Negative. And wow. I was like, 
oh my god and I started listening and when you invited me to be on I was like yeah this is a bit of a surreal moment for me no honestly straight up straight up I'm (laughs) lying I feel a bit like oh god and I remember listening to a couple of episodes in and thinking I really want to go on that podcast Uh, oh oh my god here I am you are well in that case Ruth you probably know what's coming (laughs) yes um (laughs) tell us about your journey Oh god, I love this. Um so gosh, it's it's a it's a it's a big one. It's a twist and turns one. So oh. I've always Yeah, had, we like those ones best. I've always had like problematic periods um ever since I can remember really. Like even as a teenager, mm. I, I was sort of like on and off the pill and um I'm I'm a overweight woman, I'm a fat woman, whatever word you want to use, whatever word people feel most comfortable with. And uh, whenever you go to any health professional, that is yeah. the thing that is pinpointed as the problem. Mm. So all throughout my teens, I kind of struggled to get to the bottom of what was wrong with my uh, periods. But I suppose like most women, I spent my 20s trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> and then uh-huh. my 30s, obviously trying to get pregnant. So I think when you're not really tracking your periods, you, you don't pay a lot of attention to it when babies aren't really on your radar. You're just like, oh, I how many days my cycle was then was it 30 Mm. was it 50 was it 70 you know so um I then met Matthew when I was sort of in my later 20s and we got married in 2012 and pretty much decided we wanted to try and grow our family from the word go really um and it was sort of the beginning of 2013 we got married right at the end of 2012 and it was the beginning of 2013 that I really started to think god something isn't right here like I'm having cycles that are maybe like 90 odd days so I bit like kind of six months in bit the bullet went to my GP got the same old lecture it's because you're fat it's because you're overweight go and lose weight and this will stop um tried for about five years to get to the bottom of my periods and in that time I did lose about six stone nothing changed probably did my body more damage um, by doing that and then I just stumbled across a GP really about five years in who said yeah something really isn't right here and I want to send you for some more tests Uh, fast forward I got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome which is still now targeted around my weight I still get the same old shit when I go to the doctor um and uh I kind of she she said look you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome there's not really anything we can do but did send us to a fertility appointment um, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of 2018 so I pinned all of my hopes on this NHS uh, fertility appointment and so so by this point you'd already been trying for five years yes yeah nothing furious that it took five years for someone to work out what was wrong totally devastated and I remember when I came out of my consultation and I got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome I felt such a relief um I don't really know what I thought would happen next but I just felt like oh god at last I wasn't going Mm. insane like there is some there is a medical diagnosis there is something wrong um so I went to this uh, fertility appointment and the consultant was 
oh god I mean he was an arsehole really um, and by the end of the appointment he was telling me that I should go away and get a gastric band oh what uh, Pete yeah and I remember sort of crying the nerve he he wanted to weigh me and I he'd already told me that I was too old and too fat to have IVF on the NHS Jesus Christ um he hardly spoke to Matthew in the consultation. The only thing he said to Matthew, who's my husband, is, well, we know you're not the problem because you've got fantastic sperm. <laughs> and oh. I just remember sitting there thinking, oh, my God, like, is this, is this, like, is this it? Is is this what I've been, like, longing for? Is this the moment that I've thought, <sighs> God, is this my turn? Anyway, him and I had a little bit of a, I mean, I was crying hysterically and and he wanted to weigh me. The nurse actually refused to weigh me based on my emotional presentation. And I just remember saying yes. to him, I don't know why you're going to make me stand on the scales. You've already told me I'm too fat. Like, yeah. you know, what the hell is this going to do? Wait, that, he sounds like a... Oh, God. Like, he was, God yeah. Who is this guy? I, know, I mean, God, was, don't say who it is, but like... Yeah, he was, I mean, he was just... Yeah, it was it was awful. And I left and the shame, I mean, I cried all the way home. And what followed was just like 18 months of real hell. And I just felt such shame around my story and around my body and that it was my fault that we couldn't grow our family. And I remember I searched everywhere to find my story. I, I looked mm. everywhere and I just couldn't find it. So I decided I wanted to try and tell it really. Um we from that like january 2018 through to the summer um or yeah like the summer of sort of 2019 was was awful like my mental health completely like dipped mm. i was a shell of my former self i couldn't look at somebody who was pregnant i couldn't talk about babies i i just I yeah. just lost who I was, completely and utterly lost who I was. I lost the joy of life. Um, and then we were fortunate enough to be able to buy our own house. And that is a really significant part of my story because I felt like I was out of all of the adult clubs. Like I couldn't talk about a mortgage, which sounds like a really mm. shitty thing to say, but. Oh, I've just, I've just bought my first house. So I, I was totally in the same. Yeah. I felt like, you know. You, yeah. You and it, it, I, I've been there as well. And you just, you can't have a baby. All your yeah. friends are like buying houses and having babies. Yeah. And you're like, I can't do any of it. And you can't make the mortgage jokes and you can't sort of yeah. think, oh, this is like a new threat. You know, like I just yeah. felt like we were renting and. You know, yeah. I felt like I wasn't adulting, whatever the hell that means. Anyway, we, we were fortunate enough in 2019 to buy our own house and we moved in and I kind of had this, like, this is going to be it. This is going to be the house. We're going to bring a baby home in. And that was in the summer. And then it got to the autumn of 2019 and I was done. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And Matthew and I had had times where we'd sort of stopped trying in inverted commas, but we hadn't really and every time we had sex I was still telling of myself course. I was pregnant and oh, yeah. I was still like googling symptoms and thinking yeah. this is it this is it so we did a quite a uh I don't know whether it's unheard of but I've not really heard other people talk about this but we got to the end of 2019 and I said enough like mm. we have got to put a stake in the ground I the old has got to go and for me a big part of that was stopping trying completely and by that I mean mean using contraception because okay 
I just needed to say, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay on this hamster wheel. I can't run this like rat race. Mm. Um, I don't know how I'm going to feel during this process, but I basically was like, I remember lying on my bed with Matthew, just bawling my eyes out. And I just said to him, I just, I, this, like, I'm losing myself. I'm mm-hmm. completely losing who I am. This is affecting us. It's affecting my wider relationships. It was affecting my relationship probably with people that I hadn't even realised. Both my siblings have got children. Mm. Um, my relationship with my mum has always been amazing, but I was starting to feel like that. I just felt so guilty that I couldn't kind of extend her grandchildren yeah Um, I just yeah like I it was so painful and I just said I've got to stop this I've I've got to just um stop so we sort of had 12 months where we just lived our life now obviously what followed was you know a pandemic fucking COVID (laughs) (laughs) this was our time to show I was like you but actually we've just I've I just feel like I I've lived a bit more like Mm. I've been intentional about finding joy I've realized that the grass often looks greener over the fence and sometimes you get there and it is just grass you know I've I've realized that comparison is the thief of joy and and that Mm. is so true like if I'm not if I'm comparing myself to what other people have I'm missing what I've got in front of me um And I just was like, I need to just breathe again. And actually the 12 months that followed for me were life-giving, were um, tough, really hard, really tough, but also a new, like kind of a new space for me to step into. I started a podcast with my sister. Yes. Um, We'll be plugging that later. (laughs) Thank you, which I love doing. It feels like... uh, a new kind of lease of life. We got signed by a production company. We've just signed with a kind of well-known platform. Like, you know, I kind of think, God, all the times I beat myself up about what I thought was my fault, I could have missed so much stuff. And that doesn't mean to say that there aren't days that aren't horrendously painful. That doesn't mean to say that I wrote a post about this a few days ago on Instagram. You know, sometimes my childlessness feels like my label inside my clothing that's digging in a bit deeper. And some days I can put mm-hmm. the cardigan on and I don't feel that label and it doesn't exist. And then other days it's scratchy and it hurts and I'm constantly fiddling with the jumper to make it sit right. And mm-hmm. I'm trying mm-hmm. to carry it. And it's like, God, that label's really digging in at the moment. But what really nice analogy. Thank you. But what I've learned is that that seasons, I think. And I think parenting has seasons and you know marriage has seasons and friendships have seasons and and life is one big up and down season really Mm. um and people often say to me like how did you how did you get to the stage of living with this and I suppose I just I sort of ask myself what hurts, what helps, what heals really. And and that is really what I try to do. I try to nurture myself. I try to parent myself. I take note of what's really hurting me and what's helping me and what I find healing in. And I just sort of try and live with it and, you know, carry it as best I can. But that doesn't mean to say that it's easy or it's a, it's a walk that, you know, isn't isn't painful because there are points where it really is. 
I mean, a lot of the things that you just said, that you've kind of found ways to live with it and and things like that, um, are are impossibly difficult. Mm. How do you get through life? How do you get through those seasons when the label is digging in a bit much? Because that, I mean, you you just kind of said that you do it. That that is so hard. I've been in a lot of therapy <laughs> and I think lovely. Um, I think one of the biggest things I think we need in any of this walk of childlessness, infertility, IVF treatment, adoption, fostering, whatever it is we choose to grow our families and to get children in our lives. And for lots of people who've never walked that, they don't get it. But for us mm-hmm. that have, I think, I think it's, the, the self insight and the exploration that we have to do is far deeper than most other human beings. Gotcha. Um, and I think, I think for me, what I've, what I've learned to do is that those days that are really, really, really painful is I do ask myself those questions. Okay. What's hurting? What is this? that What is it about this? That's hurting? Is it that, you know, I don't know who's going to look after me when I'm old, which is a really big fear for those of us that are childless Mm -hmm. um you know is it hurting that we're getting together as a whole family in a couple of weeks and I'm going to watch my nieces and nephews with their cousins and that's going to really hurt Mm -hmm. and then that question of what helps okay so what what can I do to help me in that do I need to journal a bit more do I need to reach out to a friend do I need to tap into some of this community that understands what this is like do I need to put away my phone do I need to talk to Matthew do I need to phone my therapist and say hey look I know we haven't touched base for a bit but can I book a session in like this this is digging in a bit deeper this is and then I suppose what heals is you know finding those those rhythms of life that help me to nurture myself and I think we don't parent ourselves you know Mm. small Ruth still exists she's in there somewhere and she needs to be parented and nurtured and often we learn that when we become parents and so when you don't become a parent you don't often learn what that is to look after and nurture yourself Mm -hmm. um so I've spent a lot of time in this last year thinking how do I nurture myself how do I make sure that that Ruth has a voice and I suppose one I mean one of the things I do is I I'm a bit of a worrier I'm an overthinker um and I've really started to and one of the biggest worries for me is god when I'm 70 who's going to look after me and I'm constantly saying to my nieces and nephews you better come look after me, me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, remember I, who your favorite auntie is exa- exactly that <laughs> <laughs> and I but I think there is that fear of like god who who's going to look after me mm. um is and, there an element of kind of making childlessness okay in your head even if it's not what happens in the end but kind of just if you make that feel okay and you sort out that this kind of um the problems that you see like not having no one to look after you does that make it feel does that make it better yeah and I think for me I I that those anxieties and those worries are valid but I don't give them all the space in my head at any time so I will I do often this sounds like a really bizarre thing to say but I do often schedule my worries so if a thought comes into my head Mm. especially around my childlessness I'm like I don't deal with that now I deal with that in the shower or god that's an interesting thought I haven't got time to think about that now because I think 
worry and catastrophizing is the inability to live in the moment and it's the inability to think about what we've got in the here and now and if Mm. I say to myself actually that's a legitimate thought and it's a legitimate worry I do need to give that some time and some space but I'm not going to do it now where it's going to spill out of my head and it's going to become out of control Mm. um and I think going back to it and thinking gosh okay what am I worried about um if 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 our life remains childless forever well, I'm worried that I'll be the person in the old people's home with nobody to visit them. But then I think I've got two brilliant siblings. And actually, you know, I could have children and that could be the reality as well. You know, there's lots of people who end up estranged from their children or are the people in the old people's home that don't have visitors. So I suppose I become logical and I think, well, actually, that could have been me. There's no point worrying about it. That's a really good point. Like when I get there, it, it will... It, you know it will, it will happen or it won't happen um so I think that those three things what what hurts what helps what heals has been really really like yeah for me I think there's a real rhythm of gosh this is really hurting today and what is it that's hurting me and sometimes I think we don't step into that hurt enough and sometimes yeah. I think we're we tell ourselves god we shouldn't sit there for too long but actually that is sometimes where we do the biggest kind of thinking and working through why we're feeling the way we're feeling. I do like the way that you comfort yourself by saying, well, I could be, I could die, die alone anyway. Yeah. Either and way. I, I think that's true, isn't it? Like loads of people end up estranged from their parents. That happens yeah. so many times. Yeah. It must like, and obviously it's, it's terribly sad, but you're, mm. you're right. I mean, it could happen to any of us. So like it, it's not... Guys. It's not on on your chart if you don't have children. No. It's, it's on anyone's. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you can fall out with siblings, and you can. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got lots of friends. I, you know, I I tell myself, okay, I might not have a child visiting me, but I'll have nieces and nephews visiting me, and I'll have friends visiting me, and you know, I very much doubt I will be that person. But God, I could have four birth kids, and mm. <laughs> might not have anyone visiting me. You know, yeah. I I think it's so easy to think to think children fix so much of that stuff Mm. um and they don't always that you know they they don't always um kind of fix that stuff it it can sometimes make things harder I think um yeah what's your kind of um and you may not be in a place where you've you've thought about this but like do what what are your options now like what does the you know what does the future look like for you guys in terms of in terms of growing that family or are you kind of still parked it yeah I think I know that the kind of term childless not by choice is sort of used for people who have come to the end of their kind of are we going to grow our family question and have made a decision quite strongly that they're not going to yeah um I would say in the season that we're in we are living childless not by choice although we haven't probably made the final decision I I toy a lot with treatment. I'm 38 in May. I'm 39 in May. God, I've just knocked a year off my life. That's depressing. I'm 39 in May. We all have, Ruth. We all have. (laughs) And I, God, you know, one of the things, this is going to sound like a really bizarre thing to say, but one of the things that, there's a few things that terrify me about treatment. What if it doesn't work? I know that IVF is a cruel lottery and I know I'm talking to two people who, Mm. you know, know that. And Mm. I feel like the role of the dice for me and it not working God, I honestly don't know how people get through that. Genuinely, I have so much respect for people who do that. It's not easy. No, it's not. And I just don't know that I've got it in me. But 
do you know one of this is going to sound like such a bizarre thing to say but one of the things that terrifies me the most about treatment if it were to be successful is secondary infertility and I think Mm -hmm. that is so complex and so misunderstood and so like god well you should just be happy because you've got a baby Uh, yeah don't understand the kind of layers of it my siblings are so important to me Mm -hmm. and are such a massive part of my life we have such a close bond yeah uh I think the the tying up of god I love this baby and I'm so thankful for it alongside oh my god I'd give anything to give you a sibling Mm -hmm. I think it's such a complex journey to manage it's funny isn't it because I'm well I'm pretty much an only child right so I've always been of the opinion of like oh my god if we can just have one like I'm happy with that that is fine with me be that because that's because my experience has, has been um I've got um half brothers and sisters but they're so much younger than me I pretty much am an only child of course um so yeah I think it's your experience obviously if you have that relationship with your siblings then of course you kind of crave that if somebody could say to me you can do IVF and you'll have twins I'd be like god where do I sign up how much yeah let's let's go stick it it in me yeah let's do it um (laughs) so I mean god I I toy with treatment Matthew and I talk about treatment a lot Um, we talk about it you know most weeks if not you know Mm. most days we have that like should we um I'm terrified of it really in all Mm. honesty Um, I'm in a real space of like you know once you roll that dice when do you stop um if it doesn't work you know this this grief of childlessness I've sort of learned how to manage and walk with Mm. I honestly don't know what I would do if it ended in loss or it was um, you know if if it didn't work I I yeah, so there's, there's, I mean, fostering and adoption has always, I think, been on our radar, definitely fostering, even if we'd have had birth children, I think that's something that we would have mm. looked to do. And I think uh, fostering is something that I very much lean towards, uh, probably fostering over adoption. Mm. Um, and it's something that I still feel very passionately about. Why fostering over adoption? Oh God, that's a really good question. I don't necessarily, I think lots of people who want to adopt want babies. And I do understand that. Obviously, I totally get when you're, you know, having walked the path that I've walked. I'm not necessarily hooked on having a baby or a young child. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we earn our stripes as parents that, you know, that's what that's what parenting is about. It's about yeah. nurture and love at whatever age. Mm. And, you know, if you take a five or six year old, they're still very little. They still need you. They, you know, they still need. Um, and I think reparative parenting is such a big part of fostering, which is probably the thing that I'm most passionate about. Mm. Um, so I think for me, you know it kind of obviously if Matthew and I could have a birth baby of course but if that isn't going to be our story I would happily look to foster an older child with the view to maybe adopting them long term if that was right for them um but I think uh everybody wants babies and younger children obviously I totally understand why and that isn't a a dig at anybody who you know is is looking for that but for me personally I'd be happy to take an older child or a sibling group or perhaps a more complex child um so that's why I sort of lean towards fostering a bit more and I guess you you need to kind of think you've you've got to be at the end of your journey yeah um before you start even considering that kind of thing absolutely and I want to have fully grieved like Mm. you know not having birth children I want to I want to 
if we invite a child into our home that has already experienced trauma and loss, I want to make sure that I'm in the best place I possibly can be mm-hmm. to nurture and love and, you know, parent that child properly. Um, but it, it, fostering is something that I think I would have done anyway, regardless of, yeah. you know, how my life would have turned out. So probably in the next few years, fostering is something that we will look into, but we're still not fully laid down you know, we haven't fully had the conversation that says we're really not going to pursue treatment, are we? So, yeah. Well, um, just to change the subject completely, um, you mentioned your siblings there, and obviously you've you've got a very funny sister and a very funny brother, <laughs> um, and you're very funny because we you. listen to your podcast. Um, d- I mean, do you think kind of humour has helped you get through this a bit? Oh, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I did a I did a interview, well, a kind of article with Grazia magazine a few months ago, back end of last year. Yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that we talked that me and the person that uh, wrote it talked about. We we like humor in our family is is such a big part of who we are and laughing, my god, like I think we underestimate how cathartic and comforting laughter can be. You know, really laughing with somebody mm-hmm. is such a bonding experience and it it brings people so much closer together. Um and that's not to say that I don't uh that I don't grieve what we haven't got or what we've been unable to do with our family, but I definitely know that being intentional as well about humor and joy, you know, like there are so many things that I can do at the drop of a hat. And that doesn't mean to say that it's not painful, but M- Matthew and I are intentional about finding the joy in life in terms of saying to each other, if we're in a situation, my goodness, we wouldn't be doing this if we had children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there does have to be an intentionality when you are living life and you feel a bit left behind by society and you feel like you don't really fit because your family doesn't look like people think it should at a certain stage. Uh I think you have to be intentional about laughter, about joy, about fun. Um, And that, you know, me and Andrea and James love (laughs) humour and we find it wherever the hell we can, whether that's mimicking somebody that we've just observed or watching a comedy together or just on the phone FaceTime being stupid making each other laugh you know we that is a big part of our lives and our relationship for sure how about you and Matthew what what's how has that impacted you guys oh my god I mean how we stay like in long-term committed relationships or married when you go through this shit is like oh, yeah. a miracle right yeah. you know? like I feel like we all deserve a fucking pat on the back yeah. <laughs> um, it's been really 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 in the middle of our kind of um infertility stuff right in the heart of it it came out that Matthew was a secret drug addict um oh, wow like a really interesting like turn of events in our story nothing you'd see coming no and I found out because I opened a bill that um I thought was addressed to me and it was addressed to him and uh, we were in huge amounts of debt and he'd been secretly taking cannabis and cocaine and god yeah it was a whole and so there was a point in our kind of he's nearly four years clean but there's a there was a point in our you know 
journey and our experience where it had to be about make getting him better mm-hmm. and everything else had to sort of go out the window and take a back seat really um we have I, I told I told a story on my podcast with my sister this week where I'll never forget Matthew and I it was it was like in the days of it's two minutes past 12 I think I've just ovulated we've got to have sex come on <laughs> like and he was like I'm not really in the mood I was like I, I was like an army marshal I was like I don't care like I definitely think I've ovulated I don't give a shit whether you're in the mood or not. anyway we were halfway through doing the deed and he was like Ruth look I'm really not in the mood and I was like I don't know where this came from but I basically said oh for god's sake Matthew come on all you've got to do is blow your beans up me what's your problem <laughs> and that was it like mood killer oh my god like completely out the window I think I spent the next five minutes crying because I was like I've blown it and I think I'm ovulating um so and I actually think you know people don't understand the impact this stuff has on everything like your life just becomes a military operation. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I had a quid for every fucking stick I'd peed on, oh, God, we'd be God. loaded. We wouldn't have a mortgage. We'd, you know, we'd have a house in the Bahamas. Like, yeah. And and there's this like the impact I think on on our mental health when we experience the trauma that is infertility. And God, it is a trauma. Like we, I don't think we. I think all of us who have experienced this are like, well, you know, we, we've just managed it, but it's so traumatic. Mm. You can't walk through a house fire and not have scars mm. or yeah. be burnt. You know, you, you can't. And and so I think for us, we have learned more about each other in the last, probably we've been married for eight years. Um, I think we've experienced a deep deep depth of love and attachment alongside a deep depth of god how are we going to make it through this the other side like Mm -hmm. in our relationship going to come out just frazzled and a kind of shadow of what it was um but i think for us it's just been about you know we both have to be on the same page so if I said I really want to pursue treatment and Matthew didn't want to, we've always very, very clearly said it. we've got to be both in with both feet and we won't convince the other one. You know, it, it's got yeah. to be a decision we both make. Um, I think I've had to learn a lot away about the way Matthew grieves. I'll never forget we... I did a pregnancy test, one of the kind of many that I've done, and I was absolutely convinced I was about, I don't know, I must have been about 15 or 16 days in inverted comma late, what I thought was late from the period. Those were the Yeah, those bastards. And I was convinced it was going to be positive, and I woke up desperately early one morning, and I went into the bathroom, and it was negative, and I remember, Mm. like, lying on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, and I went and got back into bed, and I just said to Matthew, it's negative, and he burst into tears as well. And that day I didn't go to work, he didn't go to work. And I was desperately, frantically searching for like stories and people's grief and something that resembled what we were experiencing. And I found this kind of blog page and I was reading it and reading it to Matthew and he lost it with me. And he was like, I don't want to hear about other people's shit. I want to deal with our own. And I think Mm. there was a real understanding for me that was like, oh God, 
I can't force you to grieve this the way I do. Yeah, I can't have an expectation that, you know, we are, we fall into very stereotypical men and women. I'm an external processor. He's an internal processor. Like I want to sit with my girlfriends and share everything. He wants to run and hide. And I think we're very like that in my relationship as well. Yeah. I'm an extrovert. He's an introvert. I mean, like, you know, we are like very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I think I had this belief that the way I grieved things was the right way Mm. and I had this belief that I had to make this square peg fit into this round hole and for Matthew to join me in the way I grieved things but actually I think there needed to be an understanding from me that the way that he worked through stuff was okay and I had to give him space and time and even now, sometimes I'll say to him, what do you think about this? And he actually says, I don't know. And I need some time to think about it. And I get a bit pissed off, but I just have to realize that he has to go away yeah. and think through that stuff. Um, it's funny, isn't it? I was talking to my husband about it the other day. And um, he was saying that kind of the flip flip reverse of that was that in, to try and support me, he he could often see that he'd be trying to talk to me and my he would know from my face that I was thinking about infertility or mm-hmm. treatment or wombs or injections or mm-hmm. something. And he said he used to have to say to himself all the time, okay, I'm just going to have to let her talk about this for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and then that'll be good for her. And then we can hopefully move on kind of thing. You had to kind of, cause yeah. otherwise you just get really pissed off with me all the time. Cause I'm constantly thinking about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, a really good person on this is Julia Bueno, who we interviewed a few years ago now about miscarriage um she talks about the different kinds of grief and how different people grieve and it's really interesting yeah and I I I don't know I maybe I thought I was you know you know I was there thinking oh I'm really emotionally together and you're not and because you don't want to talk about it you know you're you've got this wrong you know the way that I do this is the right way and actually it's not a pissing contest is it like (laughs) it's it's you know we we can't we can't get into you do it right, I do it wrong, I do it right, you do it wrong. It has to be a sense of, okay, I've I've chosen this, I've chosen to be in this with you. Um, I I still choose to be here, I still choose to love you, and and love is a choice, it is a it is it a is. daily choice. Um, and I'm gonna choose to stand in this, even if you're dealing with stuff perhaps the way I wouldn't, I'm gonna say, cool, that's the way you deal with it. So, but he is my best friend. I mean, God, we have been through some things that people don't go through in 30 years of marriage, in in less than 10 years of marriage. And we have seen each other at our best and our worst. We have walked really, really, really dark uh, times with each other. But I wouldn't choose to do this with anybody else. And he undoubtedly is, you know, my hero, like getting clean from drugs for us and he did it for us is mm. like you know what a guy <laughs> what you know what yeah. a guy so um Absolutely. and I feel so Matthew could have died through his drug addiction if we hadn't have you know got to the bottom of it when we did so I feel every day so lucky that he's still here and I still get to do life with him like you know he he could have ended up dead or in prison probably mm. so yeah. yeah okay uh I'm gonna completely change the tone now okay because I want to talk to you about skincare. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. I love this. Yes. 
from drug addiction to skin one seamless smooth move um see Ruth you've become a bit of a skincare guru oh god I don't know about that I just love it I'm just obsessed with it I just read it all the time um what can can you just tell us a bit about where this came from um it's interesting because I've never re- I didn't really like wear makeup as a teenager. I sort of got into it into my mid twenties, and I think the person that got me into makeup and then subsequently into skincare is a woman called Hannah Martin. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how I found her, but I found her on YouTube or I was scrolling Instagram and I found her, and she just made makeup feel so accessible. So she was just like, the first video I watched was like, I'm going to do my face in 10 minutes. And she used her hands and she didn't have loads of brushes. And mm. she used a bronzer that was like, you know, she was like, oh, God, this bronzer's like half finished. I should have picked a different bronzer. And she is a makeup artist. Like she is, mm-hmm. she's done like royal weddings and she is a world renowned makeup artist. And I remember thinking, crikey, you've made this feel accessible for me. Like I can sit in my room and, you know, try and put concealer on with my fingers rather than a flashy brush. And you don't do contouring and, you know, that suits mm. me. And then from then on, I was just like, oh, my God, I love this stuff. I love the creativity that makeup brings. I started to dabble into skincare and I started to see a bit of a difference in my skin and kind of how it reacted and responded. And then it just became this out and out like, oh, my God, I love this stuff Mm. and I'm going to devour it and read about it and follow loads of kind of, you know, Caroline Hirons being the absolute queen and guru. And I just started to really like just you know really get into this stuff and try different things and then I started to follow people that had different skin types to me and I started to think about oh god so this person's got very very oily skin and what do they do and I just became really interested in some of the science behind it and the products that worked and didn't work and yeah I just absolutely love it now and I just like read blogs and books and yeah I just I feel like it. I'm a bit annoyed that we're not doing a zoom because I could really do with a consultation <laughs> that's oh, fine man. we can have a consultation at another time that's I've fine. got some inflamed yeah. bits that I'm not happy with right now my wrinkles are oh. hard off the chart <laughs> so can you give us give us your best tip yeah. So I would say, uh, so retinol, which is derived from vitamin A, is, has become a big kind of sort of hallmark for wrinkles. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit scared of retinol. Hence, yeah, so I don't feel like you need a retinol. For me, I think the best place to start is a really good vitamin C, so something that's brightening. So uh, vitamin C is really good at plumping and brightening the skin. And often as we age, our skin can become duller. And that's one of the things that, and then wrinkles become more apparent because it's like, oh my God, my skin Mm. looks dull. Um, So vitamin C, hyaluronic acid is the best plumping moisture keeping thing that we can have and a good moisturizer so you you want you want to cleanse if you don't wear makeup a single cleanse is fine um but try you know be washing your face at night time um if you've got more oily to combination skin you want to kind of gel if you've got drier skin you want something that's kind of creamy and maybe rose kind of uh yeah like sort of a a, a high rose concentrate that's really good for like drying mm. delicate skin okay. a good vitamin c a good hyaluronic acid and a good moisturizer awesome, awesome. Bang bang. i do believe that retinol is not so good if you're ttc 
Yes, yeah, so there's, I mean, Caroline Hirons would dispute that massively and would be like, it's absolutely fine, it's safe when you're pregnant <laughs> and breastfeeding. And, oh, fuck and she, yeah, and she, all alone. she loves debunking myths. You know, people that talk okay. about clean skincare, I'm like, like people message me and they're like, can you tell me some clean skincare? I don't know what people mean when they say that. Like, I don't, I don't know what this, like, do you mean vegan? Do you mean cruelty free? Mm-hmm. Like, and so what is clean skincare? What is it? Because, you know, I don't, I don't really know where that started or where that's come from. And Caroline's big into being like, people need to fuck off talking about clean skincare. <laughs> like, she, she is like, it doesn't exist. It's bullshit. <laughs> so I'm not, so I've had a couple of messages saying, you know, I'm trying to conceive what, what advice would you give me around skincare? And I, I'm honestly like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I'm not that, you know, it's like the whole, you know, should you just drink pomegranate juice and eat the core of a pineapple if you're yeah. trying to have a baby? Like, I just, I don't really sign up to that stuff. So, fair. Absolutely um, fair. But obviously, if you're trying to conceive, don't use retinol because I don't want yeah. somebody to, to message you and be like, I yeah. was trying yeah. to have a baby. So, yeah. with the one say, thing stopping me. <laughs> yeah, if you're pregnant, trying to conceive or breastfeeding, don't use retinol. Um, okay, Ruth, this has been awesome. Um, just yeah. before we go, can you just tell us about your podcast and where we can find it? Yeah, of course. So my sister and I started our podcast, Finding the Funny, almost a year ago. It, it's been going a year. In Happy this birthday. Year. It'll yeah. be a year in June. We can't believe it. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. We sit down every week for, half, for about half an hour and we just chat shit. We do the big questions. Ange tells us what's been getting on her shitting tits. We talk about dickish <laughs> We talk about dickish behaviour, which is, you know, things like, you know, people like one of the best one of the best ones we've ever done is Facebook local community groups. You know, oh God, like, there's a helicopter dead. over my house. Does anyone know why? Oh, no, I'm not I the police. Them. I'm an absolute <laughs> average. And then we finish every episode with a, a segment called Don't Go There, which is a bit more of a serious segment. And we've looked at everything from the my sisters uh, in the early menopause. So we, we covered that. We've covered infertility. My sister had miscarriages between her son and daughter. This week, uh, we had my, the woman, My Frugal Year, who is an Instagrammer, mm, yeah. uh, talking about money. Um, so we try and you know tackle subjects that people really don't go there with we've got a guy on in a few weeks called knackered knickers from instagram sean who is uh he's gonna come and talk about male infertility um so we just have a bit of a laugh we observe the things of life and it's very stupid it's not highbrow at all it's just that's what we like sisters sitting down every week and having a bit of a laugh so yeah finding the funny you can find it on all your big podcast platforms Awesome. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for coming. It's been an oh, absolute thank joy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Honestly, thank you. A highlight for me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for IVF. What the What I think our harmonies are getting better. I mean, I'm dragging you down. You're a really good <laughs> singer. I am not a good singer. But hey, I look, you know. What I, what I don't have in tuning, I make up for in enthusiasm, <laughs> I believe, personally. Do you know what I really miss doing is a karaoke night? 
Do you know my um, auntie and uncle own a karaoke bar in Cyprus? Oh my god! Yeah. Why have we not gone there? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, yeah. Well, because I don't really like doing karaoke because I can't sing, and I've all every time I go, I feel inadequate because I kind of I'm like, tonight I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and I never do. No offense, but if you're doing karaoke in Cyprus, I don't think you're hanging out with like great singers. I think you're <laughs> hanging out with a lot of pissed English people. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, I could have got away with something. You'd probably yeah. be a superstar. You'd probably be like um, English Cyprus's answer to Jennifer Lopez. The people would love me. Yeah, they would. Well, next time. Um, next time I go over there, if that ever happens again. <laughs> Do you want to talk about thyroids? Probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, obviously, thyroids can impact on fertility. Yeah. And um, it's well, something. Well. Well. Go. Ooh. Okay, so thyroids, I think. A better way of saying it is thyroids are often mentioned in connection with fertility. Okay. Because, um, you know, if you speak to a lot of people in the community, they will Mm. say to you, get your thyroid tested. Like, please get your thyroid tested. Mm. Um, But then I was looking it up. I was looking at the NICE guidelines. Because I think when you, and people can go and listen back, but when you were going through it, you were concerned that your thyroid hadn't been tested, right? I think so. And I went and bought a Thriver kit. To yeah. test it myself and it turned out it was all fine. And I had no fucking idea whether mine had been tested or not, but I assumed it had. And it, it, there's a lot of people that would say, get your thyroid tested, it's really important. However, looking through the NICE guidelines, this leapt out at me. Um, it says it's got a do not do recommendation, oh which is interesting. And it says women with possible fertility problems are no more likely than the general population to have thyroid disease and the routine measurement of thyroid function should not be offered in connection with infertility. Um, estimation of thyroid function should be confined to women with symptoms of thyroid disease. So I just thought that was quite interesting because I had taken it as absolutely gospel that you should always test it. That's interesting. I'm fairly certain that we will get emails from people being like, fucking test it, what are you on about? Yeah. Well, I'm reading something and it says, undiagnosed thyroid dysfunction can make it difficult to conceive. Yeah, well, there you go. So maybe, you know, up to you. Um, Professor Tim has his own views. Of course he does, he Which always he mentions here. But um, I just found it quite interesting that, that that is mentioned, although, you know, as we know, nice guidelines can be sometimes be a bit hit and miss, can't they? Yeah. I understand it. If you've got unexplained infertility and you're, you're looking for answers, why not test everything yeah. just to, to, you know, I've ticked that box, I've ticked that box. You yeah. Know? It seems funny because it seems, to me, like it seems like quite an in- inexpensive test. Mm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like why... Why wouldn't you? It's like a blood test. It's not like, yeah, you know, but, you know, I'm sure they've got their reasons for making that recommendation. Indeed, I'm sure they do. Um, I guess let's refer to Tim. Yeah. Good old Tim. What do you say, sir? <laughs> so the thyroid gland is in your neck and it obviously produces thyroid hormone. And the hormone which actually controls the thyroid gland is called thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. And it's actually TSH, which is the test that doctors would usually do to see how over or underactive your thyroid is. Now, over the years, there has been some controversy over the extent to which thyroid is affecting fertility and the extent to which uh, an abnormal TSH should be treated or not treated. In general, a normal TSH will be somewhere between around 0.5 up to 
between four and five, depending on which lab you have your test taken in. If the TSH is very low, so below 0 0.5, it actually means that your thyroid gland is overactive. So it's putting out too much thyroxin. And that's actually quite unusual. So for a woman who's not taking thyroid hormone, if you, actually, if you have a TSH of less than 0.5, it could mean that you've got uh, various conditions, there's one called Graves' disease, and various other conditions that are usually antibody-related, and there are antibodies that are pushing the thyroid gland to produce too much thyroxine. So certainly if anyone has an, a, a TSH of less than 0.5 and is not taking thyroxine, then absolutely that needs to be investigated further, probably by an endocrinologist. If you are taking thyroxine tablets, and your TSH is less than 0.5, it generally means you're taking too much thyroxine, and so your doctor would need to be reducing your dose. However, this is all quite uncommon. The more common side of things is to have a high TSH, so a TSH above 4 or 5, and that means you have an underactive thyroid, which is actually quite a common condition, particularly in women. Um, now, in terms of what an underactive thyroid does, one of the classic things can be that it can interfere with ovulation. So women with an underactive thyroid may notice that their periods become very heavy and start to space out. They, all, they may also notice that they put on weight and find it difficult to lose weight and perhaps feel the cold uh, more than they used to and more than others. Having said that, what I've just said are actually quite common symptoms. And so many people will think if they have put on weight and are feeling the cold, well, it must be, must be my thyroid. But then when they actually get their TSH checked, they see that it's actually normal. However, if the TSH is high, so above four or five, again, depending on, on your doctor's view, then in general, the treatment for that would be to start some thyroxine hormone tablets, uh, which you would take uh, every day, and then have your TSH checked again in around six to eight weeks time. And then we would hope to see that your TSH has then dropped down into the normal range. Now, the final part of the puzzle is what about a TSH level that is between 2.5 and, for instance, up to four or five? Now, you'll notice that I said at the beginning that a normal TSH is between 0 0.5 up to four or five. But historically, many people have thought, well, perhaps there is a problem with women who have, or from a fertility point of view, for women who have a TSH between 2.5 and 4 or 5. And going back about sort of 5 to 10 years or so, there became a bit of a vogue for, uh, for women who had a TSH in that range to start giving them thyroxine to bring their TSH down to less than 2.5. And the thinking was that, well, perhaps that would help improve fertility. However, there was a very large UK-based study called the Tablet Study, quite appropriately, that came out a couple of years ago, where, we, where women with a TSH between 2.5 and 4.0 were actually uh, given either placebo tablets or thyroxine tablets with an aim of getting their TSH down to less than 2.5. And the aim was to look to see, did that affect their fertility? And it made zero difference. So therefore, Taking thyroxine tablets, if you have a TSH between 2.5 and 4.0, did not improve fertility over taking placebo. So practice in most clinics changed pretty quickly after that. Also, the study showed that there was no advantage in measuring thyroid antibodies, which was quite commonly done beforehand. So therefore, I'd say fairly normal practice now in the UK is if your TSH is between 0.5 and somewhere between four or five, 
that is considered to be normal and most clinics probably would say to you you don't need to do anything more. If your TSH is above four or five then usually you'd be commenced on thyroxin tablets with an aim to get it down to less than 2.5. So that's been helpful. Um, certainly thyroid disease as I mentioned is very common certainly in pregnancy um, nowadays then for women who are taking thyroxine tablets they'll be looking to get it down to less than 2.5 during pregnancy but it's also a fact that when pregnant women's TSH levels drop also which is partly why it can be confusing measuring TSH levels before pregnancy and then extrapolating that to what they should be during pregnancy when pregnancy itself changes things. hope that's been helpful. And that's a wrap. That's it, guys. Over and out this Tuesday. <laughs> this Tuesday is done for us. I hope you've enjoyed this classic BFN episode. And, uh, yeah, the classic. It is quite classic, isn't it? What makes you feel like it's classic? I just feel like it's very solid. Like, we've got a great interviewee. We've got Liz being great. We've got a classic Professor Tim. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it flowed. Yeah. <laughs> Pure you know vibes. I mean? Yeah, Pure absolute vibes. BFN vibes. <laughs> Oh dear, very good. Um, yes, well, obviously, tune in next week where we'll have another classic BFN for yes. you. So next week we are talking to Dr. Amina Hersey. She's otherwise known on Instagram as the PCOS Doctor. Oh yeah. Um, and we're talking about PCOS. She does what she says on the tin. She does what she says on the tin. It's really interesting. Um, she's got some really. I mean, we talked about PCOS before, but I think she's got some great interview. Uh, great views on it kind of in the context of being a woman of colour mm-hmm. and how that can affect diagnosis and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, also, I interviewed her for a story I wrote for work the other day. She was really good in that as well. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Could you sneak in, in there with your extra interviews? Yeah, I did. I snuck in there. Help yourself, can you? Yeah, I cross-pollinated jobs and side hustle. Hey, that is awesome. I like it when the, t- the two meet, yeah. the streams cross. It's a new thing for me and I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, enough of our whiffle waffle. Yeah, I'm, I'm off to make a pizza. Oh, me too. So weird. So not make one. What kind, what brand? I think I'm going to go for an Aldi, um, like spicy, Ooh, spicy. number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like a terrible snob now. Mine's Waitrose. Oh, God. Only because Waitrose is the supermarket in Ramsgate. Like it's yeah, the main supermarket yeah. that you go to. Well over here in Whitstable which sounds more shishi but clearly isn't we're, we're Aldi team Aldi all the way hashtag Aldi yeah um, it is the sensible choice isn't it um, right guys we're off to eat pizza love you lots have yeah. a great week ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.